Welcome to The Press Office with Kate and Co-PR, the podcast that gives you an exclusive and unfiltered look behind the scenes of the Australian media landscape and public relations industry. I'm your host, Marissa Jane, a publicist here at Kate & Co PR. And if you are dreaming of a career in public relations, are an aspiring journalist, or simply just obsessed with all things digital and traditional media, then this is the podcast for you. In this week's episode of The Press Office with Kate & Co PR, I had the absolute pleasure chatting to Zara Seidler the co-founder of Social First news platform, The Daily Oz. I am sure those listening along most likely follow The Daily Oz on Instagram. With the account having over 250,000 followers for their unique way in sharing news digitally, which is accessible for young Australians across the country. Today, Zara and I chat all about her journey starting The Daily Oz, how they run their social first newsroom, the impact of COVID-19 on the news cycle, and also how important digital news platforms really are for interacting with and educating younger audiences. As always, if you enjoy the episode, please like, subscribe, and share on your own social platforms. It really does mean a lot to us. Now enough from me, let's get on to the episode. Hello, Zara, and thank you so much for joining me today on The Press Office with Caden Copia. I'm really excited to chat to you today because I am an avid follower of The Daily Oz, as I feel like everyone is in Australia at the moment. Do you mind introducing yourself, what you do, even though I've just spoiled it, spoiler alert, and how you got to where you are today? Totally. So my name is Zara Seidler. I'm 24, uh, live in Sydney, and I am the co-founder of The Daily Oz, which is uh, a social first news platform that's really trying to engage the next generation of news readers. And oh, how I got to where I am. Uh, I have a background in politics. So I've worked in different jobs in and around politics for a couple of years after finishing uni. And uh, three years ago, my now best friend, but then stranger, um, said that he was starting something called The Daily Oz and did anyone want to do it with him? And uh, a lot of my, our mutual friends sent it to me and said, you have to do it. So uh, we went for coffee four years ago, have been best friends since that day. And now we are business partners and we run um, TDA together. We've got a team of six now and we're just growing and flourishing. We've been working full time in this since February this year. So it still feels really new and really novel, but it's so exciting. That's amazing. And you're so young too. So, and you you did kind of touch on it before that you are bringing the news to this younger generation. Is that why you started The Daily Oz initially? Honestly, it's a very selfish answer as to why we started it, but we were just the friends that everyone would ask for news from. So they'd be going on a date and wanted to sound smart or they were having dinner at their in-laws you know or whatever it was and we were always answering people just separately in our lives and we were like why don't we just streamline it why don't we just have one place where we give the people the news I mean at one point I was getting calls on the morning of like a state election or a federal election being like who do I vote for like Zara tell me 
And so I wanted to try bring some sense of um, media and political literacy to young people. So that's why we started it. And honestly, for three years, we were just doing it to our friends. There was no one else following us. It was really niche and not that successful. Um, But then COVID changed everything and here we are. (laughs) Did you initially have this business plan in place to build it to what it was today? Like, was this the end goal always? Sam, my co-founder, and I have very different answers to this. I had no idea. I thought I was going to work in politics. I was going to be a lobbyist. This was kind of, I had a very clear path for my career, but Sam always envisaged it and he is the optimist between the two of us. So he always had this in the back of his head and he made it happen. Um, And really, I think it was towards the end of last year that it became a reality and we actually sat down and were like, oh, well, we need a business plan now because there was not one before. It was like whoever was around to do the news could do it. And if not, it just didn't get done. And it was a it was a hobby. It was a side hustle. So that all changed, as I said, last year. And that's when we really sat down and said, oh, there could be commercial opportunities here. It could actually be a viable business. And we were really lucky to find a group of investors who really backed that idea and took it from a hobby into a legitimate business. And you said that you have a team of six now? Mm, Yeah, we do. That's amazing. Amazing. I still can't believe that when I say it out loud. It's just, and they're all young, ambitious, excitable people who, I mean, like I look forward to work every single day and I'm not sure there are many people that can genuinely say that and not be bullshitting. Um, so it's it's a really nice feeling and everyone's there to grow this from the ground up. You know, no one comes in expecting a legit business because that's not what we are. We're all a bunch of young people trying to figure out how we can change news and how we can change the media and what we can do to, to play the game a bit differently. And so there's a lot of trial and error. There's a lot of really late nights and early starts, but the whole team is 100% with us and it's an amazing feeling. I love that you mentioned that, you know, you want to help change, I guess, this media landscape because it is something that has kind of been quite, not stale, but it's been stuck in its ways for a while. I think stale is a great way to put it. I think it's very stale. (laughs) No, it is. It's so stuck in the past. And um, I think that the media especially has been owned and operated by a bunch of old white men for a really long time. Uh, And so a lot of narratives and a lot of voices just weren't really given the space to be explored. So the fact that we profile young people, that we encourage their views, that we, you know, talk about stories that matter to, to the younger generation and not just talk down to them, like I think quite a a few traditional news sources do. Yeah, and also like young people aren't going out to buy the newspapers. They're not traditionally watching the news, but they still need to know what's going on. So it it is important to have, you know, these different mediums that cater to different audiences. Definitely. We always say that what we're trying to do is meet young people where they're at, that we can't expect them to just change the way that they consume information. We know young people consume information on social media and there's a lot of research that backs that up. So we're not trying to change that or modify that or tell them that that's wrong. I think a lot of times we're told that we're complacent or all we do is scroll on social media, which is untrue. But what we wanted to do was really put it 
in front of them while they were scrolling. So that was the idea behind putting it on Instagram was that someone could be scrolling, see a photo of a branch, see a photo of a dog, and then get a bite-sized news chunk just in the middle of that and then be more educated than they were when they got onto the app. Yeah, definitely. I think it's so important and I don't know about you. Well, obviously you run the Daily Oz, but my group chat with the girls on Instagram is literally just us like sharing all these articles and all of these news bites from you and all and even like you know journalists like Jackie Felgate she's really grown on social media during COVID as well. Hugely and I think it's because of that accessibility it's that people can see her stuff first thing when they open it and that it's clear and it's not crowded. Oftentimes a lot of the news is really crowded by noise. We, we say there's noise and then there's news and we want to do news we don't want to do noise so especially around COVID, there's just a whole lot of stuff that no one really needs to know and that that's just like newsworthy for the sake of being newsworthy. And I think Jackie and what we try to do is just cut out all of that noise and really just give people the facts that they want so that it's not overwhelming. And especially at a time when people are like quite emotionally exhausted, they don't need to sit with all of that information. Yeah, it's exactly. I know I have to like switch off off like the um, broadcast news at the moment because it's just so overwhelming. There's so much doom and gloom and like I can't handle it right now. So I just need to know what I need to know and that's it. I think that that is the overwhelming sentiment and it's also the reason that we put a good news segment at the end of all of our stories. So we upload five stories a day at 8am and one of them is always a good news because we don't want the experience of the news to always be doom and gloom. And there should be a reason for people to smile when they read the news because there are lots of great stories. They're just a bit more hidden. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. We don't need to go searching too hard for them. So I think that's very helpful. And you did mention you did start to see this growth on Instagram because of COVID. Is that how you've grown such a cult following? I think so COVID was definitely the biggest one. I think the COVID touched everyone in a way that like normal news stories, you know, you read something about, I don't know, some political story or some crime story and it doesn't you care, but it doesn't touch you personally. And COVID touched every single person really personally. And so everyone was invested, you know, it was their freedoms at risk. It was seeing their families. So I think a lot of people turned to us um, just to cut out again, a lot of that noise and to get the information they needed on lockdowns, on case numbers, on vaccination rates. So that was really, really big. And I think probably the biggest reason why we grow, grew so quickly. Um, but the other thing was that in 2020, there were all of these a couple of like quite big turning points in the news. So um, the Black Lives Matter movement was another one where everyone on social media, I felt wanted to say something, but didn't know how to. And there were a lot of opinions flying around and we don't do opinion, we just do fact. And so a lot of people were sharing uh, our work at that time because they wanted to make it known that they cared without sharing an opinion necessarily. Um, so we got quite a boost in our following around that time, um, which was understandably a really distressing time for a lot of people. Um, and then the last thing was actually the American election. People were so invested in the outcome of that election. And so we really took it as an opportunity to do that education piece around how, you know, the American electoral system works and what to look out for and why is Trump saying he hasn't lost when he has and all of that, um, So we 
we really, yeah, again, saw quite a spike in followers at that time. And taken together, those events all led to quite a exponential rise in followers that this year with COVID just seemingly not leaving has just amplified again. Wow, that's such like an amazing kind of journey. And it's so weird looking back at the election back in the US because that feels like years ago. A hundred years ago. I can't believe that we have been through as much as we have been through since then. <laughs> I know. He's hoping it's it's only getting better. Yeah, exactly. I guess from a PR perspective, how does a social first newsroom run and how can we be involved in it? It's a good question. And I'm still figuring out the PR piece, which I think we'll discuss a bit later. But um The way that we run is very similar to um, the way that any other newsroom would run, which is that we have journalists who pitch stories in the morning um, and then go off and write those stories or have the interviews or whatever it is um, around that story. But the difference, I think, about our platform compared to traditional newsrooms is that we get a lot of audience input. So because our DMs are open and everyone loves commenting, it's really apparent what people are talking about and what people care about and what they want us to talk about. So oftentimes it's it's us pitching stories, but it's also as much the audience pitching stories and telling us what they care about and want to know more about. So it's kind of both, which is a really interesting balance for us to maintain because There are stories that might not be as sexy, but that our audience does need to know. And obviously when you're dictated by an algorithm and engagement, that can be difficult, but it goes to this bigger idea of media and political literacy, which is what we're trying to do. To the point of PR, I think that the way that, I mean, I guess I should make it known here that we, it's difficult sometimes to separate us from other social media companies because other influencers with a quarter of a million followers will do product placement and will do this and that. And that's not ever what we're going to do, um, though it would be nice to do so. <laughs> it's just not something that we're going to do. So the way that we've engaged most meaningfully with the PR industry is when a, a person um, or a publicist knows the tone of what we're trying to do. I think oftentimes we'll get stuff about older Australians or about a very niche cohort, but when we get something that's about research affecting young people or about mental health or about First Nations research, it's that sort of stuff that's really considered that we love to include and will often engage with. I was going to say it seems like you would be someone that would be really focused, I guess, on research statistics, that would be really important to the Daily Oz. It is. It definitely is. Um, But it's also then a balance with, um, I guess, engaging with um, companies and movements and organisations that resonate with our audience. So I'm just thinking of when Telstra announced that they were going to make their um, telephone boxes. That's how often I use one that I can't remember the name. They, they were making them free. And that was 
ultimately a PR move by them. But it resonated so deeply with our audience because there was this like altruistic sense to it and it was uh, that it was making it more accessible. And I just remember we had such amazing engagement on that post. Um, so oftentimes we do want to be really research and numbers driven, but other times when there's just a feel good, great story about someone doing good in the world, we also want to highlight that. Noted from our end, I will I'll be coming to you with some good pictures, hopefully in the near future. And you did touch on you are a social driven uh, business and engaging content is so important. How do you beat the algorithms? What's your strategy? Is the image important? Is it, you know, doing more than one post in a gallery like what what's the strategy honestly still figuring it out um the the best thing that we've done is to increase the volume of posts so at the beginning we were really selective about what we were getting out and i think more than anything that was just a resourcing issue we just didn't have enough people to be pushing out content but as we've seen more content go out we've noticed how few people actually have the pieces come across their news feeds because of the algorithm so we're increasing the likelihood of someone seeing our posts if we are posting you know 10 times a day Um, but again that's a really fine balance when we only want to put out quality journalism and we're not interested in putting out anything less so it's about really finding uh, good stories engaging graphics um, but then just keeping the volume up Uh, so that people can engage in different ways. And the other thing is that we have, on that engagement point, we have different ways for our audience to interact with us. So we'll put up a poll every couple of days and we have our stories, obviously, and then we have our posts, we have a podcast, we have a newsletter. We're just giving people different ways to connect with us and engage with us that actually mirrors the different ways people might consume their information. So having as many diversification efforts as possible has been really helpful for us to reach as many people as possible. Honestly, on a really simple level, the way that we have increased our engagement the most has been our posts being shared by influencers. And it's such a standard answer, but it's been, especially in our early days, we, Zoe Foster Blake posted one of our posts and we got 16,000 followers overnight as a result of it. And like that, you know, money can't buy that. That is like incredible. And it, it's been really interesting to see um, the genuine influence that a lot of these influencers hold that like someone from the bachelor can tell their followers to follow us and we get this onslaught of following um from a cohort that traditionally wouldn't have engaged with the news so that's been really fascinating to increase our engagement and seeing how influencers relate to us that's really fascinating that you shared that story because we we've interviewed like a few journalists on here and the opinion on influencers is so different like some people love them some people hate them there's not really like the murky water but I think there's no arguing in the influence they do have over their audience like like you said they're getting people to consume with the news who may not traditionally 100% I'm I'm massively pro influencer only since doing this because I look at people like Abby Chatfield, who has really harnessed her platform for good and has genuinely educated and informed her following. And I think that's a huge bonus. I mean, obviously on the flip side, there's a whole lot of misinformation being spread by influencers that needs to be addressed. But I've found it, I found that a lot of influencers are expected to take positions on political issues 
that they are 100% not experts on. And oftentimes they'll come to us for the facts. Um, And that's a great thing that they're actually seeking out like expert opinion on things before just going out and claiming things willy nilly. So um, I've been really really impressed with the way that influencers have engaged with us. Yeah, it is such an interesting conversation that it's like, you know, you shouldn't be going to the influencers for your news. You know, you shouldn't be trusting their opinion on things that they're not educated on. But in that same vein, like I've even found myself unfollowing influencers who don't say anything during these trying times, you know? Honestly, I do not envy any influencer. It's an impossible position to be in. And I remember speaking to one influencer in particular who has a massive following. And this was during like a really, really complex foreign affairs conflict and she was saying to me I've been like pressured and pressured to take a stance on this I posted something I then got a thousand messages telling me I was wrong so I deleted it you know you just can't win because you're never going to satisfy both sides and they're not experts and they shouldn't be considered experts what they should be doing is redirecting people to reputable news sources like the Daily Oz lovely plug there doing my own PR. No, exactly right. They definitely should. And I agree. They're not the experts, but they can direct to the right place. That's definitely the way to go about it. And so you did mention that you also do have a podcast as well. Do you mind chatting through that? Is And is Instagram still your bread and butter? Yeah. So the podcast uh, and the newsletter were both later than the Instagram was. The Instagram was or was and probably always will be the bread and butter um, because it is, I think, the more widely used platform more than anything that people, a lot of people our age don't read newsletters. Um, But we just wanted to, again, just explore different ways to get our information out. So the podcast is really good if you have five minutes. It's basically the five top stories of the day and then a deep dive into one issue in particular. And anecdotally, at least, it helps um, people get, you know, in the know before they have a meeting with their boss or before something something's happening in their day. And so it's just a really quick bite of the news, whereas the Instagram and especially the newsletter are that more in-depth exploration. So um, we think that they all complement each other and they all do different things. And it also depends what type of a learner you are. Like I personally am not um, a visual learner, but some people are, so they need that. And some people find it difficult to pay attention to a podcast so that they need something else. And it's just about catering for everyone so that we can really make it as accessible as possible. Yeah, I love that. You need all the different mediums to touch everybody. Yeah, my sleep schedule doesn't agree, but it is a noble cause. <laughs> I know a daily podcast is a lot. You know, I do one a week. I remember turning around to Sam one day and being like, why didn't we name it the Weekly Oz? Like, why did we get ourselves into this situation that we can't back out of now? <laughs> but it's good fun most of the time. Yeah, you need to commit to the cause. And I guess from your perspective, besides from you know media turning more digital especially during this time have you seen any other changes in the news cycle over the past 18 months with COVID? I think the digitization is probably the biggest one um we have seen so many news organizations 
just suddenly look a lot like ours on Instagram, which has been really funny to watch. Um, And I think a lot of people are realising how they can engage young people. Um, And I think that's a really welcome shift. I think any shift in the industry to recognise how to get new audiences is a really positive one. Other than that, I think that there is also a lot more licence for opinion journalism than there was before. And I hold personal views on that because I think it's difficult for op-eds to exist without the foundation of knowledge. Like if you read an op-ed, but you don't actually know the context, it's really hard to separate your own opinion from that. So I think the rise of op-eds without a concurrent rise in, you know, explainer journalism leaves a lot of people struggling to understand complex topics. So I think that we've seen the digitization as well, but also this rise in opinion journalism that I do think needs to be balanced by um, a bit more time spent on explainer journalism. That's an interesting point of view and and I, I totally get where you're coming from there. And I would love to ask, can you share a little bit of your insights from your followers? Like what's your demographic? Let me ask you to guess, what do you think is the gender breakdown of the Daily Oz? Oh, I'm going to say more female. I'm going to say 70% female, 30% male. Honestly, pretty close. So 85% female. Yeah, which is remarkable. And I mean, I think in part it's because of the platform and, you know, the style of it all, but that doesn't account for 85%. That's like a pretty significant difference because we have never paid for, you know, specific marketing in this way. We don't have like a feminine vibe to what we do. Like quite the opposite, I'd say. Sam always says that, and it has like no evidence at all, but he always says that he thinks that women share news around more than men do. Like that you'll send it in a group WhatsApp or a group Instagram message. But again, it's literally just what we've seen in our friends and like no scientific basis. So 85% female and 80% um, under the age of 35. So the outliers to that are, of course, my mum and all her friends who play bridge and then talk about the Daily Oz. But yeah, a really, really strong cohort of young women and predominantly based in Sydney and Melbourne. They're about even now. It's always funny during a lockdown, you see one spike a bit more than the other. But now that we've both been locked down. But what we don't know and is a real flaw, to be honest, is that Instagram only tells us major cities. It doesn't tell us anything about the regions. So a big focus for us moving forward is how we can get out into the regions and have journalists out there so that we're covering stories that matter to young Australians everywhere, not just in the major cities. So that's a 2022 task. That's a big task. I love it, though. You can do it. I want to say it's surprising that it is female driven, but it doesn't surprise me at all. But yeah, like you said, I would say your feed and content is more, it's very gender neutral per se. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I don't know. It says a whole lot, but there's nothing conclusive and there's no evidence to suggest it. So I think I'll stop myself from suggesting why it could be the way. Yeah, I, I'm not going to comment any further either. And in terms of your content, do you have any sort of pressure on yourselves to be the first to announce or break any news? Actually, quite the opposite. So we decided at the beginning that we were going to sit back and do that more explainer style because, A, honestly, we didn't have the resources to be at press conferences and like break and like we just weren't legit enough. And so since then, we've always tried to sit with 
the major breaking news of the day and actually just break it down and provide the context and do all of that. And so that's always been our guiding philosophy and it's actually never changed. COVID's been a bit of a spanner in the works because we can be really fast at that because we don't have a massive bureaucracy. You know, we don't need to get it approved by 100 million people. We just do it, proof it, fact check it, get it up. So we have been the first in a lot of instances just to break down what the premier or chief minister in each state is saying. But that's definitely not a pressure for us. And our audience is really understanding and appreciative actually of the more considered and in-depth exploration of issues, which is a really nice position to be in. It's just so interesting chatting to you and finding like how well thought out like all your content is, even though sometimes you're like, no, it's not. It really is. And it makes a difference. And it's why everyone loves following you guys. And so I have to ask a few PR specific questions so I can work out how to get my stories on the Daily Oz. So is there a preferred way to work with a PR? Again, I think I'm still working it out and I need to learn more about PR. I feel like I don't entirely understand it all. The preferred way is that a pitch is specific and that it just isn't a generalised press release. That just doesn't work for us. We're not a type of media company that will just regurgitate a, a press release. Um, I know that there are some that do, and that's really helpful for them to have press releases. But considered engagement with us just goes a mile further, especially when, I mean, we're a tiny team and we are so inundated at the moment that when someone takes the time to understand why the story actually might be useful to us or might be valuable, um, I've found just as a personal thing that I'm way more inclined to engage than a generalised press release that's just been flicked to thousands of people. Yeah, and I think because your offering is so unique too, that a PR would need to do their research and make sure, A, it's relevant, B, how can it be tailored to this platform? Yeah, and I think, I mean, when we get emails saying, I saw you did this on this and I think that whatever I'm pitching is in line with that, I'm like, yeah, it is in line with that. Like, that's okay. And it just shows me that there's been a bit more thought put into how the story could actually fit in because we're not going to do something way left of centre if we've never done it before. There's probably a reason we haven't done it before. So, yeah, I really appreciate... And there was one that was sent to me a couple of weeks ago where they actually linked to a post that we'd done and said, I think developing off this in this way would be really helpful for X, Y, Z. And I was like, oh, my God, you have put so much time into this. And I know that that's not a reasonable expectation, but it just made such a difference for the way that I personally engaged with it. No, I totally agree agree with that and I guess from there do you have any PR pet hates I I don't think that this is anyone's fault I actually don't even know how it's happened but I think I have like four different emails on PR lists that I get like all of it sent to my personal email addresses and I just it just kills me because I'm like I need some separation between work and I don't I don't know how you've gotten my email address I don't know where you're from like how is this app and there must just be some master list that a personal email that's been scraped from I don't know like LinkedIn or something and anyway, that kills me um and then just stock standard press releases that have no relevance to what we do is just 
I'm just not going to engage with that. That is totally fair enough. I know you're saying that you are very new to the PR world. And I guess for us, one of our key things is to make sure that we're building relationships with different media organizations and reporters. Is there any way that would be your preferred way to start building those relationships and having those conversations? Yeah, I I found that as we like started growing, there were some PR firms that reached out just for the sake of reaching out, just to start forming that relationship. And I've always lived by the philosophy that it's a lot easier to ask someone for something if you've already spoken to them just for the sake of it. Um, so I think just introducing someone before then asking them for something is always just a really nice way to engage with someone. And like, I love relationship building. I love meeting new people. Um, obviously difficult given the circumstances, but um, it's meant that I'm, I'm going to be much warmer to any approach that I know the person behind. And it can be, I mean, when we're receiving like 20 PR pitches a day, it's very difficult to know who, who these people are, where they come from, who they represent, um, because in PR world, I'm sure everyone knows everyone and it's really clear, but as someone on the outside, I'm like, who are you? And how do you have my email? <laughs> and it's always like the really overly friendly emails. And you're like, do, do we know each other? Oh my God, hey, babe. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't know who you are and you haven't given me a last name. So I just know your first name and I'm stressed. That is totally fair enough. And I agree from our end too, it's so much easier once you have that relationship, picking up a phone and going, I've got this news story. Would it be of any interest to your publication? And if if so, how can I make it better for you kind of thing? Yeah. And just, and I think the biggest thing for us is that we only do news. So when there's just press for the sake of press for a company, like we're just, we're just not going to do that. Um, so that just like having that newsworthiness understood is really, yeah, really helpful for us. Definitely, definitely noted from Alan. And we are almost at the conclusion of this interview and it's been so lovely chatting to you. And I like to end all of my interviews with a series of quick fire questions on your preferred ways of working and how you consume media. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, email or phone call? Email. I am the most stressed phone caller ever. I like don't answer phone calls from unknown numbers and then I'll miss like really important like politicians or something and I'm like, oh, well, didn't have your phone number so kind of answer it sorry so email <laughs> yeah it's such a gen z thing i swear <laughs> i speak about it with my friends all the time i had a friend sorry i know this was meant to be quick fire i have a friend who um started a new job and at home she'd literally practice calling people she'd be like hi how are you and just like trying to get into the stage of it being normal because it's so i mean like i'll flick off a text in two minutes and it saves like the, you know, whole long, anyway, email. Yep. I agree. Email. Coffee or wine? Wine. Always. Digital or traditional media? I'd be uh, not good for the brand if I said anything else. So digital. <laughs> yeah. You could be like, I hate digital media. <laughs> yeah. Not a fan. <laughs> Instagram, Facebook or TikTok? Okay. Instagram for work, but I sink hours into TikTok. Like so many hours it's like a black hole and then I emerge and I'm like oh my god why is it 2am and I'm still on TikTok I agree I'm all for the TikToks 
Press release, personalised pitch or both? Personalised pitch, 100%. I knew that answer was coming. (laughs) Well, anyway, thank you so much for your time today, Zara. I've learnt a lot and I look forward to hopefully having some newsworthy stories for you over the coming months. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I think it's so, I mean, it's so helpful for me even to be speaking to a professional like you and an expert to understand how I can relate to PR as well. So super helpful. Thank you. Well, if you ever need help in the PR world, I'm your gal. (laughs) Love it. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to The Press Office with Kate & Co PR. Please subscribe, rate and review via your favourite podcast app and please give us a follow, like and share on Instagram at Kate Co PR.